The following presentation was recorded at the 2013 Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute. More information at the docforlearning.org. Greetings this morning to each of you in the name of our Lord Jesus. It's a blessing to be here. It's been enjoyable to, uh, to listen to the discussion so far, and hopefully uh, this little presentation will help uh, tie some of this together and, and hopefully give us some tools even in, in going home and back to our communities. <clears throat> it was August 22nd, 2004, in Athens, Greece. It was a Summer Olympics, and a man named Matt Emmons stepped up to the line in the rifle shoot. It was a 30-meter shot, but Matt stepped up to the line with a lot of confidence. See, he had the best in equipment. He'd spent hundreds of hours in practicing for this event. And not only that, Matt was already three points ahead in rifle shooting. This was the last shoot, and all Matt had to do was even get close to the target. He didn't even need to hit the bullseye to win the gold. And Matt shot that morning, hit the bullseye right in the center. But Matt didn't walk away with the prize that day. There's a reason he didn't. Matt did something real simple, a real simple mistake. See, Matt was shooting in lane two, and he inadvertently targeted lane three, and he shot at the wrong target. He had the right rifle. He had the right uh, experience. He'd spent hundreds and hundreds of hours preparing for this, total confidence, but he inadvertently hit the wrong target. You know, we've heard lots about tools. We've heard about curriculum. We've heard about problems and issues and all kinds of things yesterday and today. But this morning as we start, I want to ask you this. Whether you're a school board member, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, what is it that you're aiming at? And furthermore, how often do you stop in your school board or your teaching and ask yourself this question? What am I aiming at? What is the target I'm trying to reach? You know, school boards are a place of potential power. I spent about nine years on two different school boards, and, and one of those in particular, we had a lot of issues. We started out in the horse barn in central Washington. We didn't have much money. A lot of young couples just tr kind of scrambling and some trying to start businesses, and, and it was a, a tough ordeal. A lot of late nights, a lot of issues. A lot of dust in the air, a lot of struggle. All of us that have been on school boards have experienced that. But how often do you stop and ask yourself, what are we really doing? It's been a couple years ago I took a course on uh, estate planning, and in part of the course the speaker talked to us about, about selling something to somebody and in public speaking, and he said this. He said, your job as a speaker is to move someone from where they are to where you believe they need to be. He said, lead them down a greased chute as you give a talk. Always head them right down to where you want them to be at the end. So I want to tell you right now where I want you to be when you walk out. One of the goals that I have is for you to go back to your school boards, go back to your school, and identify the target. What is it? What are you really after? Don't pay the heating bill. Don't talk about teachers until you've addressed this issue. What is it we're trying to do? 
Leland mentioned this a little yesterday. Write it down. Take some time on this issue because it's very easy to have all the right machinery and be aiming at the wrong target. Let's look at a few targets. <clears throat> Maybe your goal is simply to have better scholastics than public schools. You know, that's a moving target. I just read a report from May of 2011, the city of Detroit. They estimated that 47% of the population there was functionally illiterate. And half of those were graduates of high school. So it may not be too difficult to hit this target. Or maybe it's a healthy Christian environment. Maybe you're just trying to provide a place for your children that's just better than other places. A place they're not exposed to unbiblical teaching. Maybe that's your goal. Again, that may not be too hard to reach. Maybe it's simply children who can defend your church's denominational positions. Now, I want, to, I want you to notice something. These are all good things. But what is your primary target? What are you actually focusing on? What is it? I think we want children that can leave our schools, leave our homes, that can enter into life and be able to explain why we're doing what we're doing. But what is your primary target? Maybe you simply want a school with an excellent reputation. Maybe you want a school that is just better than the other private schools in your area. Uh, but I want to remind you, we're not really after nice-looking orchards. We're after fruit production. That's really what we're after. So are you content if your school simply isn't as bad as others in the area? I want to propose that what we're after is producing adults with a kingdom-focused vision. We're not just raising children. We're after adults with a kingdom-focused vision. That means a life that's sold out for Jesus Christ, one that will accept nothing less than being sold out for him. That's what we're after. Like when I was given this title, that's really what they were saying. They said, cultivating hearts of service in children for future business and missions. I think that's what it's inferring. After listening yesterday, I suspect that this should be changed to... Uh, Maybe it should be future business, missions, and school teachers. Because I sense that a real need for that here. And I appreciate it. That's one of the things I'm taking away from this. You know, there's a lot to be excited about in our youth. Some of my most exciting moments are dealing with youth. They've got some zeal, enthusiasm. I see some good things coming out of our youth. I really do. But I also see a few problems. And I want to address a few of those some of these, and again, I deal a lot in, in finance, some of these problems are in how our youth are relating to the material world that surrounds them. Some of that reflects back on us as adults. How do we relate to the material world that's around us? And I want to just present three options, three ways that they can look at the material world. First of all, we might say the material world is to be enjoyed, and that's been referred to in these talks as materialism or consumerism. You know, Anabaptists are not immune from materialism and consumerism. Somehow I think we're very, very good at taking a materialistic mindset and wrapping spiritual skin around it. But it's still materialistic down underneath. The material world is to be enjoyed. I've earned it. I've worked hard. It's really for me. You know, Jesus taught that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesseth. We all know that. We can probably turn to it. But somehow we've moved from there all the way over to using credit card debt to get more things. There's a big spread between those two. 
One is saying that, that the li- our life does not really consist of things. The other is going in debt to get more things. Big spread between those two. It's revealing a materialistic mindset. <clears throat> in reaction to that, some say material world is to be shunned. When I wrote Kingdom Focus Finances in 2009, I would go out and give some talks occasionally, and, and uh, I would have young couples come up to me, and I'd begin to be alarmed at something I was sensing in them. Their parents had went down a road of saying life was to be enjoyed. So they, in turn, were reacting from that and saying, okay, that must mean that material things are to be shunned. And the bottom line of that equation is, is the less material things you have, the holier you are. Is that what we believe? Is that what we want your youth, the path you want your youth to go down? I've dealt with some of these young families. I have a family that I admire in many ways that I worked with for several years. And, and they were, I would say, on fire for the Lord in many ways, very kingdom-focused. It was a father that just loved to, to give money away to missions and share, and, and sometimes he would get a check from, from his work, from his business. He had a little small business, and on the way home, he would cash the check just so he can get that thing going quickly to missions. He loved missions, but his house is for sale right now. He was too far in debt. He believed it to be shunned. He didn't want to think about material things. He wanted to think about the kingdom. Is that the kind of children you want to produce out of your schools? The third possibility I want to hold up before you is the material world is to be used for the kingdom. I want you to notice something. There's some truth in the first two. God does intend that we enjoy the material world. And there are some things that need to be shunned. In fact, if you take the teachings of Jesus, there's quite a bit in our mindset that needs to be shunned about the material world and the focus on that. But ultimately, God wants us to use what he has given us to bless others and to reach out to others. How do we do this? Before I address that, I want to look at just a few problems we've created. Let's go back to this title. And I'm not going to, to, I I didn't put the title together. But I wonder sometimes if we are creating what I'll call an unscriptural dichotomy by separating business and missions. I want you to ask yourself some questions. Which is more godly, business or missions? What comes to your mind first? What's what's the most godly, missions, missions or business? Which is more important, missions and outreach or business? Which would you prefer your children were involved in, missions or business? And last, which would, you, which would your teachers see as most important? When they want to use someone in the classroom as an example of godliness, do they hold up businesses or do they hold up missions? Why do we separate these two? I'd really like to change this title if I could. I'd like to say cultivating hearts of service in children for business as missions. I'm not trying again to say that that someone should not go in the mission field or to elevate business. I'm simply saying this. When a person is kingdom focused, it doesn't matter what you're involved in. Let me ask you a question. When the Apostle Paul stopped to put tents together and sewed tents, was he on a mission or was it business? Which was it? How do you separate those two? And our problem is we don't use our businesses in a kingdom-focused manner. So therefore, we've created a dichotomy. 
and ask you another question. How many examples do you have in your congregation of kingdom-focused businessmen? You know, uh, when, when I got involved in, in giving some seminars on uh, finances, I soon found out there was not enough time in my schedule. In fact, there wasn't enough time in several men's schedule to give talks. There's a lot of need out there. And so I began to try to find men who understood business, who were good examples who could go out and give talks. And I found very, very few. Now, I can find young men who don't understand business that would like to go out and tell all the businessmen they have too much money. I can find plenty of those men. But I have a hard time finding businessmen who understand how to make the material world work for them who are good examples of kingdom living. We have a problem in this area. And I challenge us because we need to be using our schools in this way to teach these young people there's a better way. You know, I mentioned earlier that that in a school board setting, you are in a position of power. In Haiti right now, we have some some savings groups going on uh, with very poor people, but we're doing it with youth. We're doing it with, it's an experimental program. We're trying it with youth. 12, 13, 14-year-old, they get together once a week, and they save just a little bit. And they go out and work, and they try to find work, and they come back and save a little bit. Why am I messing around with the youth? We have older people already in the program. They're doing very well. Why are we doing it with the youth? Because there's potential there. If you're going to change those communities in Haiti long-term, you need to change the youth. That's why we want to focus on that today. You need to be addressing this topic of materialism and living for the kingdom while they're young. I want to look at a verse for a little while and analyze it. I think it's a powerful verse. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. There's four lessons I want to get out of this little verse. I'd lay it out like this. First, let him that stole steal no more. And just for a moment, get a vision of, of the law, just the civil law around us. This is saying don't live below the law. This first is saying don't steal. Don't be involved in things below the law. Second, number two, but rather let him labor. In other words, be involved in in. That's at the law. That's where God wants us to be. God wants us to obey the law. But third, working with his hands the thing that is good, that's above the law. That's even producing something out of your businesses that's a blessing. That's not just doing anything you can to make money, but actually using your business to produce something that is a blessing in your community. And final, finally, number four, way above the law, that he may give. Notice the intention that he may have to give to him that needeth. That's kingdom building. Now, I want want you to look at a a diagram. I just put this together because sometimes things stick with me better when I look at a picture. Let's begin with this. Let him that stole steal no more. Let's just call that integrity, just basic integrity in life. But rather let him labor. That's work ethic. We've heard about that a little bit. And there's, there's verses, servants, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. 
I think sometimes we're a little ignorant of the time we're in in the labor market. I don't know how many of you do reading in, of secular writings, but there's a writer, a New York journalist named Thomas Friedman that's wrote several books. I happen to like his writing. He's a secular writer. He's not a Christian uh, writer. But he's, he's very good at, at, at finding the, uh, the weak spot in our society. He's written books like uh, The World is Flat. Uh, he wrote one in 2011 called That Used to Be Us, speaking of the United States, comparing it with China, what's happening in China. But he says this in the book, That Used to Be Us. The labor market has changed dramatically, and Americans aren't aware of it. But he says we need to think like an immigrant if you're going to survive today because it's a new world. It's not the world you and I grew up in. The Internet has changed many, many things. It's leveled the playing field. They're even experimenting with things like, uh, like fast food places. The person that asks for your order may be in Bangladesh someday. There's no reason to pay somebody there in, in uh, McDonald's to take that order when they can pay somebody over there just a fraction of the amount. There's all kinds of things happening that are flattening out the labor market. He quoted in this book a professor from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and he says this, an immigrant is a paranoid optimist. It takes an optimist to immigrate, but an immigrant knows there are no guarantees. He must be alert highly adaptive and persistent because he knows the odds are against him. As I look around sometimes in our labor market in the Anabaptist field, I'm not sure we're there. I think we're a little lazy in this area. <clears throat> Let's look on to the next one. Working with his hands, the thing which is good. Being a blessing to the community. Remember, we're looking at, at our business as a mission as something that is a blessing to the community, not just pursuit, producing anything that makes money, but actually producing something that is a blessing. How many times does you, do people in your community struggle with get-rich-quick schemes? It's because they're ignoring this principle. They need to be producing things that are a blessing, not just trying to get more dollars, but actually producing something that blesses. What about just being hungry for money? Is your community an example of godliness in this area? Is it known in your community that you can hang wealth and money and whatever in front of these people? It doesn't move them. That's not what they're after in life. Are you examples of that? And then finally, that he may have to give to him that needeth. In other words, he's using his resources to bless the kingdom. That's foundational. I want you to get a vision of this. As you have a kingdom-focused vision, you produce things that are a blessing to your community. You will have good work ethic and you'll have integrity. Now, as you give up your ambitions, as you give up your personal desires and focus on the kingdom, the rest of this will happen. But it has to be foundational. I want to stop just for a moment now and look at where I perceive we are. Now, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I live in Idaho. That's a long ways away from here. So maybe it's different here. But I want just to, to give you a picture of what I perceive as I listen and I come here in the east some and listen to where I'm at and sometimes even my own heart, I want to give you a picture of where I think we're at. I think Anabaptists, that word is synonymous with integrity. I think this is one we do pretty well. I really do. When you put out a sign that says you're going to sell pies, I think people know that you're going to sell good pies. I, I think they believe that. I've even seen, uh, uh, we see Amish everything. I saw an advertisement a while back for Amish software. 
Amish, Amish simply means integrity. It, it, in people's minds, that's how they're promoting it is quality. I saw an Amish truck stop one time. It, the word is being used. So I want to say this. I think this is one we're doing pretty good with. I really do. Second, maybe a close second would be work ethic. And, you know, there was a time not very long ago that all it took to get hired was to be warm and vertical and get there on time. Those days are over. Now people are looking for someone who knows how to creatively think and adapt and work. And our youth need to understand that. The jobs may not just be there like they always have been. That is changing. What about work ethic? Where are we with work ethic? I just heard yesterday and someone saying they thought this was going downhill just a little. It wasn't what it used to be. Maybe that's true. I don't live in a large Anabaptist community. <clears throat> but I think it is one that we need to be watching and, and aware of. What about being a blessing to the community? Focusing on producing things that are, are a blessing. This one I think is a little more sketchy. I'm not sure we're there. I think there's a lot of Anabaptist people that will, will change pretty quickly if, if they can just make a little more money somewhere else. I'm not sure the focus is primarily on being a blessing to the community. I suspect sometimes that many of us are just as hungry for wealth as others that surround us. I'm a little bit alarmed about this one. <clears throat> now, there's so many good examples. I just want to say I don't think we're exceptional in this one. What about a kingdom vision? I think this is more like icing on a cake. I don't think we're there. I really don't think so. I think we have this thing reversed. You know, we're pretty good at giving away money that's extra money. We're pretty good at, at, at giving away clothes that we don't really need anyway. We do pretty well really at sharing time that's extra time. But is kingdom, a kingdom vision the driving force in your community? Is it the driving force of your congregation? <clears throat> I'm afraid that rather than being the foundation, it's the icing on the cake. But I want you again to look at this. I really think this is what God has in mind. That the foundation, the foundation is kingdom building. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> I've had people talk to me about that before. What do you mean by, by a kingdom vision? What, what's all that talking about? And I want to just narrow it down real brief and real small and concise. As I read the Bible, I see God having two basic missions. <clears throat> One of those is to declare his majesty, his character, who he is. I think that's one. And the second is to reconcile the world unto himself. I think those two, those two points encapsulate God and what he's after. He wants to declare his majesty and reconcile the world. And every other thing that goes on around us is to, with the intent of fulfilling those two. Every time that sun comes up, every time spring comes and the leaves come out, God is intending to declare his glory and reconcile the world. Kingdom building is simply being a reconciler together with him. It's engaging in that process. It's declaring his majesty and reconciling the world. It'll fit in business. It'll fit in missions. But it has to be foundational to that. So how do we get there? What steps can we take in moving toward that goal? <clears throat> how can we be workers together with him? I want to just look at, at a few 
uh, potential goals we can take in this area. <clears throat> you know, you need to start by producing vision. And the first one I have is teach decision-making from a kingdom perspective. I think a lot of us are, uh, in our communities, we feel a little like we're sitting in a boat, and we like to get the youth inside our boat, and we like for them to start rowing. And the sooner the quicker. We need, we need help in this boat. But if you, don't, if you can't tell your young people where that boat is going, it's very hard to get a man to row. And that's true in many times in schools. It's true in churches. If you can't articulate the vision, if you don't know where the boat is going, then don't expect men to get in and start rowing. And your job as a school board is to articulate that vision. It's also to articulate it to the teachers. Are they teaching decision-making from a kingdom perspective? I mentioned earlier that, that God intends on, on sharing and, and displaying his majesty and reconciling the world. Those two things. When you go to select a teacher, those two things should be on your mind. Is this a teacher that will do this? When you select a curriculum, those two things need to be on your mind. It's from a kingdom perspective of, of sharing and, and displaying the majesty of God and reconciling the world to himself. You know, uh, I, I hear a lot about volunteer service. If we could just get our youth into, another, into a third world, that'll take care of everything. And, and I'm, I spend a lot of time personally in, in third world. I, I'm there probably sometimes every month or every other month. I get into a country. There's a lot of blessing in that. But don't expect to live materialistic lives yourself and send your children. It won't work. You cannot put on a Band-Aid of, of, a, of a little short-term trip and fix this problem. You have to start at the foundation level of your own lives as parents, as school board members, wherever you are. It has to begin there. Now, there's blessing in travel. There's blessing in seeing other places. In fact, I think our teachers can even use experiences like that to share with their, with their students to bless them. But you won't do it just with that. <clears throat> There's another picture I'd like to give you, a word picture. You know, uh, how, how do you keep a pure mind like we heard about this morning? How do, how do you do that? How do you, how do you stay focused? Um, how, do you, how do you keep from sinning? How do, you, how do you do all these things? I want to give you a picture. I want you to imagine that I put a bicycle up here and, and one of you get on it. You would think that the easiest way to stay up on a bicycle is if all you had to think about was keeping it up. But all of us know if you put a man up here and tell him just to stay up without moving, it's very, very difficult. The same is true in life. And portray this to your students. If they can get a forward vision, a clear mission of where they're going, it's much easier not to fall. If I can go into town, if I can be involved in business, if I can be involved in whatever I'm involved in, with a mission of reconciling the world and declaring the majesty of God, my thought life won't be a problem. Keep the bike moving. Give them a focus. Give them a direction of travel. It'll help so much of the other, but so much of the time we're building props, trying to keep the bike up, and there's no mission. There's no forward movement. Don't ignore money and possessions. <clears throat> Teach them how to relate to the material world around them. 
you know, students and our, our children are being taught how to relate to the material world. If you don't teach them, somebody else will. And you can try to keep them back on the back 40 if you want to, but all you need to do is go to town, and they are being, they're, they're having a way of relating to the material world thrust in their face. It's in advertisements. It's in all kinds of pressure they're getting. We need to combat that. And school is a place this can happen. Don't just ignore money and possessions. It's a major part of their life. It's things they're going to have to deal with. You know, uh, the early Christians, we marvel many times at the early youth. I read about 13-year-old martyrs and 15-year-old martyrs and even younger than that, young people that went to the stake and burnt. How'd they do that? And there's, there's different answers to this. The Spirit of God had to be with them. The power of the Lord had to bless them. But there's something those individuals had. They had older individuals going before them. They had someone to watch. They had examples. The book that I just put out a year ago here, this last fall, called Going Till You're Gone, that was the burden of that book. We need to have older people for the youth to follow. It's very difficult for the youth to get a vision of kingdom living if they don't have it in their older ones in this area of money and possessions. Teach them stewardship. Profit is not a sin. Neither is it the ultimate goal. They need to understand that in stewardship. <clears throat> Something else that I, that I want to share. I think it's very important to teach youth what a wonderful and rare opportunity they have right now in their life. And I've included a graph here that I want to show you. This is in the book, uh, Charting a Course. But I want to just walk through it real quickly as an example of what you can do with youth to teach them the blessing of where they are right now and using the opportunity they have. <clears throat> if you look at this graph, you'll see a top line here. Let's just assume this top line right here is income. These are the ages down here and the income. Let's just imagine the young man gets a summer job, 15 years old. Maybe he only makes about $3,000 in the whole year. Next year he makes a little more and finally gets out of school and his income jumps up and finally up here by the age of 20 he's, he's making $20,000 and uh, we follow this man clear on out and by the time he's uh, oh, 25 in here he's making about $25,000. Now ignore the numbers if you can. Uh, there's many who make more than that and less but just get a picture for a moment of, the, of, of what this man's life is like. Notice his income. As he gains more experience it goes up. The bottom line here, this line, are his expenses. Now, he's living at home, and, and by this graph, I'm not trying to teach that we should always just give our children all the money, but just for, assume for a moment that this young man received all of his money. His so bottom line is expenses, and he goes along here, and finally, he has to get a, a vehicle at 18, so his expenses go up, and he has more, he has fuel costs and insurance and whatever. He's going along pretty good here, and all of a sudden, about the age 24, he meets Sally, and gets married, and there goes his expenses. Okay? We can, most of us relate, ages different, uh, dollars different, but we can relate to this picture. Now, you'll notice something. Dark blue is expenses. Light blue is something we call discretionary income. That is income this young man made he didn't need for survival. He did something with it. If you would take this little graph right here and add up the dollars, it's about $130,000 he went through in that amount of time. What could he be doing with that? How many men, when they get to 25 years old, wish they had $130,000 or even, even 30000 
teach them the potential they have in their youth, it's a very rare time. This also is true with time. You'll find time is about the same way. He had lots of extra time here. Family comes on. There's very little notice up here, very little discretionary income. Not much there you can do. Why is it so rare? If you look at an average man's life, it looks something like this. There's a lot of time and money, extra time and money right here, not very much here, and a lot at the end. Most lives are this way. Give them a picture of the beauty of the opportunity they have right now in their life to use that. They can use it for saving. They can use their time for, for volunteer service, helping the neighbors. There's lots of things they can be doing, or they can waste it. But it's your job to give them the vision of what is possible, of the potential. <clears throat> this particular uh, graph, I want to say this as well, can also begin to give people, even in this area, a vision for what can be done here. Tremendous potential in our older years. Begin teaching that in their youth of the potential they have down the road of doing things to bless others and share. <clears throat> the next point. Technology. It isn't going away. Now, if you'll notice, I've positioned myself in a very strategic point. I've learned something about talking about technology with Anabaptist groups. It's good to be close to the door, and it's good to have your rental car right outside. <clears throat> but we can't afford to ignore it. It needs to be talked about. I want to use this analogy today. When I was in high school, we had a, we had a, uh, I was in a shop class. We had a very powerful saw there in the, in the center of, of the, of the shop. And that, that saw was powerful. In fact, it had created some damage. There was some boards hanging on the wall that, that boys had not been using it correctly and had thrown, thrown boards out. And the instructor would point at those and say, be careful about this saw. But I want to give you two scenarios. Let's just ex imagine that the instructor would look at that saw and he said, um, this thing's powerful. It could hurt a lot of people. I think I'll just unplug it and not let anybody use it. Okay? That's one scenario. Another scenario. Let's just imagine that, that the, in, the instructor would have said, um, I think what I'll do is I'll teach them about it, then I'll just let them use it. And I see the Anabaptist community falling primarily into these two categories. The first category is doing this. They're saying it's, it's too dangerous, we're not going to have it. And yet underlying, there's a lot of it going on. And the instructor puts his, ear, his fingers in his ears and ignores the sound of the saw. He just acts like it's not happening. That's one, type of, one way to deal with the saw. It's one way to deal with the Internet. One way to deal with technology. There's another that I'm concerned about. And it's saying, you know what, if you're spiritual-minded enough, if you just have enough spiritual-mindedness in you, it doesn't really matter. You can have all the Internet, it doesn't matter. And that's just like the shop instructor saying, I'll teach them about it and leave the room. And I'm concerned about both groups. Because I hear people, I'll call them in the spiritual camp, that just say, we just need to be spiritual about it. And they're laughing about some funny video they're watching. What are we doing watching funny videos? Can we afford that in the climate we're in today? Or I hear people saying that we just have a rule against it. And I've here a while back, I had a, a talk in a 
in another community. And um, I was getting emails from their pastor, but it was in somebody else's name. And so I asked him about it, and he said, well, the leadership here isn't allowed to, to have it, and so we're using, we, all, we all use it, but we're using it under somebody else's name. What do you think that does to the youth in that community? There's something happening. They are going to lose respect for any agreements. They're going to lose that. We can't afford to lose respect for agreements in the time we're in. We need that. But we need more than just agreements. We can't just have rules only. We need some teaching, and we need more than that. We're going to have to get into the hearts of each other. We're going to have to sit down face-to-face and talk and communicate and know where we're at. Don't think you can escape this issue. I sat on an airplane coming out here, and right beside me was a, was a man watching a video. I mean, we were shoulder-to-shoulder. Shoulder. He would watch a video, a video as a bloody, awful video. And worse than that, he kept taking off his headphones and telling me what was happening in this thing. Now, I can have all the agreements I want at home about not having the Internet and not having movies. And not, but how do I escape from this? I was on an airplane probably a year ago. There was a man sitting just across from me who was looking at homosexual pornography. How do I deal with all that? Is it having a rule at home going to take care of that? We're going to have to do more than that. And I'm not saying don't have agreements. I think we need them. I really think we do. We're going to have to sit down and look face-to-face at the issues. But we need more than that. We need teaching, and we need more than that. We need accountability. We're handling an animal that is too big for us. It's huge. It's not just the Internet. Don't think you can check that off and take care of that one. It's a whole society and culture that's pushing in on us. We need to teach our youth to be prepared for that, to be ready for that. It's coming at them. It will. And they need to be prepared for that. I think one of the things our schools can do is teach biblical principles. I think we do that. But another thing they can do is, is make sure you're not laughing at agreements and brotherhood decisions. We need that as well. We're going to need all of it, I think, to get through this time period. And I want to encourage you one more thing. Move your community beyond baseline rules. You need to get into the heart of each other. There needs to be face-to-face connection. I need, personally, I need someone calling me each week and asking how I'm doing in this area. I need that. I have it. I want to encourage you in that direction. Let your youth see the church is an institution or a place that can deal with these situations, that can deal with it. Create forums where students can share truth. I think this is vital. You know, youth can be radical thinkers. Sometimes in our home, I found my children to be way more radical than I was ready for. But that's okay. Let them speak to each other. Now, I'm not saying by themselves, but coaching. Use topics that are relevant. I encourage teachers to, to use topics like the first vehicle. What kind of vehicle are you going to buy? Talk about the world problems. Talk about stewardship and let them speak to each other. You'll find that if you can get one young man to stand up and say, you know what, we don't have to be driving new vehicles. It's worth 20 times having me come and give a seminar. Let them speak to each other. Speak into their hearts. They have the potential of doing that. Clothes and all those types of fashions and stuff. Teach them the principles, then give them forums where they can speak into each other's lives. When I wrote the book Charting a Course, 
Uh, my passion was really for our youth in, in giving them a direction of a kingdom-focused life at an early age. But at the end of each chapter, I put questions there. And the reason I did that was I wanted them to speak into each other's lives. You can have five pages of writing, but those few questions can do more than the writing if you'll use them. I've had some requests lately for a workbook, and I don't know how much interest is out there for that. But I think we need workbooks even that encourage dialogue, not just, parent, not just teachers up there speaking, but actually letting young adults, and I'm, I'm talking primarily about high school age, uh, in those ages, but let them speak, let them say the obvious. If we're living for the kingdom, do we have any business driving around in Mercedes? Let them speak about that themselves. <clears throat> And finally, provide older kingdom-focused role models. You know, I, I mentioned earlier uh, that was the burden of, of the book, Going Till You're Gone. Uh, we need that today. We need businessmen who understand the material world, who are willing to walk away from their ambitions, walk away from all of their stuff, and follow the kingdom with a passion. I don't think it always means leaving your business. But you can tell pretty quick what a man's passion is. And I would, I would encourage you in this way, those of you who are businessmen, purpose to live a kingdom-focused life. You are being watched, and what you buy and the things you allow is telling others what's important in your life. <clears throat> Paul said this to the church of, of Philippi, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, they were observing Paul. They were seeing Paul sitting in prison, seeing Paul sitting there and still writing letters to the church, and that was inspiring them to go out and live. And each of us have that same opportunity. We can become those role models, and as school board members, we must be those role models. If you're expecting your teachers to go out and teach at a certain level, you can't be living below that level. You need to be there as well. <clears throat> Where are the men of faith today? Where are the older men willing to walk away from a life of ease, willing to actually be martyrs for the kingdom right here in prosperous America? Where are our men? We have some. We just simply need more of them. Conclusion, I want to leave you with this. You need to identify the target. I want to encourage each of you to go home and, and analyze that closely. Even if you've done it before, do it again. Keep going back to that. What are we actually doing? Why are we staying up here at midnight every night? Why are we doing this? What's the purpose? What's the goal? What are you after? The other is, don't expect your community just to get behind you. You're going to have to articulate your vision. You're going to have to communicate with your community. You're going to have to do that. You need your community. You need their support. You need their prayers. You need their financial support. You know, a leader has to have a following to be a leader. Just how it is. You know what a leader is who doesn't have a following? He's a man taking a walk. And I want to encourage you to go home and engage your community to help your students and your school board Focus on a kingdom-focused vision. May the Lord bless you. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.